Hello everyone, how are you? How are you feeling? Always want to check on everyone. I'm really sorry about the background noise. It's the middle of the day, so those are bound to happen. So, last time, or in a previous episode, better said, I was talking about protagonists challenging the status quo in uh, DreamWorks movies. And I figured this time I'd talk about the villains. What, in my opinion, makes DreamWorks villains so particularly tragic I I could honestly talk about most of the DreamWorks villains but I kind of want to focus on the Kung Fu Panda ones because I'm more I wouldn't say more familiar because I'm pretty familiar with all of them but I feel like because of the themes of Kung Fu Panda, that I am more... mm, that they make more sense to explain to me. So, um... Yeah, I'm gonna do that then. So, to start off, I would like to... Obviously, I'm going to start with um, Kung Fu Panda 1 because, well, okay, I just want to open with this really quickly because I feel like this is important to how I personally view the, um, view the Kung Fu Panda movies. For me, when I look at the Kung Fu Panda movies, I feel like they each individually focus on a different part of Poe's journey to becoming a Kung Fu warrior. So, when I look at Kung Fu Panda 1, it really strikes me as the the movie that focuses on Poe physically. Like... His physical strength, you know, his um, physical prowess, how he fights, stuff like that. When I watch Kung Fu Panda 2, it honestly strikes me as a movie, I mean, yeah, a movie that focuses on Poe mentally. Because he is clearly, um, yeah, he's clearly being challenged his mental strength is genuinely being challenged by the adversary that he's facing by Lord Chen, by his past and generally the things that happen to him in that movie and the things he discovers about himself and about his family and such and Kung Fu Panda 3 to me feels like feels like a um spiritual journey like yes i understand there is a lot of um there's a lot of oh um his his uh how do i say it 
Because it's not just, oh, Poe has to go back to his um, birth village where his mom was and his dad currently is and his whole, you know, panda clan is. It's also, and he has to, like, reconnect to his roots. But it's also kind of literally a spiritual journey because they do end up in the spirit realm with Chi and stuff. But it is... Poe clearly has more of a... mm, spiritual, yeah, struggle in it. Like I said, he's struggling with himself, who he was, who he's perceived to be, who he perceives himself to be, and such. And, you know, I find that pretty cool. I'm pretty sure it's, like, kind of unintentional. They probably wanted something, ooh, spooky for the third movie. Um, for the second movie, they were like, oh, let's, uh, let's take him out of you know, his village, and just give him its stereotypical sequel, mandatory backstory, you know? But that's just, that's just how I see it. That's just how those three in particular, those movies in particular have always come across to me. Okay, so I want to start with um, Kung Fu Panda 1, whose villain is um, Tai Lung, and since for me, I see, you know, as I explained, I see Kung Fu Panda 1 as a story of Poe's, like, physical journey. I find Tai Lung, which is very obvious, I find Tai Lung to be the exact opposite of Poe. Like, everyone does, obviously. It's the most obvious thing. But not just that he's the opposite of Poe, but also that he's, like, at the peak, so to speak, of what you would expect a traditional kung fu master to be like he's strong he's fast he has a lot of dexterity a lot of stamina and he can take on the entire figures five and just straight win like something that poe arguably cannot do or at least he cannot do without like a lot a lot of help um a little bit on Tai Lung. He was basically abandoned as a kid on the steps of the Jay Palace, which is where Shifu found him and decided to take him in and raise him as a student and as a son. Because, you know, Shifu was like, oh, I'm gonna just adopt you, whatever. Um, then, one day, Tai Lung managed to... Um, show that he can that he can kind of fight that he's super strong and he can feasibly fight and Master Shiva was like oh that's that's good let me train you in Kung Fu but somehow along the way for some reason Master Shiva decided that Tai Lung was definitely going to be the, the dragon warrior and instead of keeping this information to himself he started telling Tai Lung, you know, hey, you're going to be the Dragon Warrior. I feel like you're definitely going to be the Dragon Warrior. That's your destiny. That is what you deserve. You will be the Dragon Warrior when you grow up. Let us, you know, get you to the point where Master Ugwe will give you the title and the Dragon Scroll. So, like, for 20 years, Tai Lung is, like, training, pushing his body to the extreme to try and get to the point where Master Uge, Grandmaster Uge, will be like, yeah, you're the, you're the dragon warrior, here you go. Except, the thing is, um, 
because Master Shifu was focusing so much on Tai Lung's, you know, um, physical. He was focusing so much on Tai Lung's physical um, development. He didn't give any attention to his emotional and spiritual development. It was just all physical, all you need to be the Dragon Warrior, that is basically it. So, because he didn't like grow emotionally or spiritually, by the time he he got presented in front of Master Uwe, Master Uwe was like, Ah, uh, yes, very interesting, but I see darkness in your heart, so you're not a Dragon Warrior. Which makes sense. Darkness would develop. Like He didn't grow emotionally, spiritually, as I keep repeating, my bad. So, he obviously grew up, like, super arrogant, because that's what Master Shifu promised him. Master Shifu promised him that he was going to be a Dragon Warrior, so he felt entitled to the title of Dragon Warrior. Which is fair, if my parents told me I was meant to be one specific thing, and I go my entire life trying to become that one thing, I would also feel entitled to that thing, whether or not, you know, I actually deserve it. Which, in this case, he didn't. That's the point. Um. Okay. So... Because he got rejected from being the Dragon Warrior, Ugwe... No, sorry. He he got super angry and was like, well, if... Um, well, I didn't get what I want, so I'm gonna rampage throughout the village. Through the village and possibly kill people. I mean, there's no way he didn't kill people, because he kind of ended up in a prison, in a mountain, with a thousand guards or so. So, he definitely killed some people. But, you know... And then, in the process, he was trying to take the Dragon Scroll by force. Like, in the middle of the rampage, he was like, you know what? If I won't get it the legal way, I'll go get it the illegal way. But, um... So he he went up, he attacked Master Shifu. Master Shifu was like, oh, I can't hurt my kid. And then he tried to, like, take the Dragon Scroll. And Ugwe, like a badass, was like, uh, Uno Reverse. And, you know, defeated him. And that worked fine. I mean... Shifu was permanently injured from that whole thing. But, you know, everything's fine. So he got chipped off the jail. Like, afterwards. And, yeah, that's basically Tai Lung's backstory. But in that backstory, I find that Tai Lung had the first chance to change his quote-unquote destiny, or the path he was on, essentially. Because... When um, Uwe was like, I see darkness in your heart, I cannot give you the Dragon Scroll. He, he had the chance to be like, well dang, if he saw the darkness in my heart, well, then, you know, the rules state I should probably like meditate it out or something. But he didn't. He threw away the chance and just like gave in to his anger. Of course, we don't know exactly what happened during the night. Because it's, it's, it's a flashback told by Tigris, who probably either heard it from villagers, or the attendants in the palace, or 
Actually, I don't think Master Shifu would have ever told Tigers what happened, but Master Uwe might have. Because, you know. For, it was very specific for her to say, I see darkness, uh, Uwe said darkness in his heart and reviews. So, it might have been Uwe. Who knows? Um, I, I ramble. I, I apologize. So, yeah. In my opinion, that was the first chance Thailand got at not redemption, but his first chance to not be on the path of evil, and he just denied it. He was so blinded by his entitlement, his rage, his anger, that he just denied the path and was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it by force. Which is, in a weird way, valid. Because, like, yeah, I get it. If I was promised something and then I didn't get the thing I was promised, I think I'd be pretty bad about it, too. I'm not sure that if I'd reached the extent of, like, no, killing people or destroying an entire village, but I'd be pretty mad about it. So that's completely valid. Then, I find that his second chance at... Okay, so his second chance is kind of a little muddled. Sort of. How do I explain it? Okay, so his second chance is either I I'm gonna leave I'm gonna just say like second chance uh part one and second chance part two. I find his second chance part one, although kind of weak, is when um he heard um Zhang made it to Tragon prison and Funny, funny thing about that, by the way. <laughs> Shifu tells Zhang to go to Chargon prison and tell him to double the guards, double the weapons, double everything. And he just tells Zhang this verbally, so he Zhang just flies off. Right? And then Zhang shows up later at Chargon prison with a scroll and hands it to the chief. And Chief's reason... And the chief reads it and he's like, What? Take extra precaution? Your prison may not be adequate? And Zhang's like, um, Shifu said that. I'm not, I'm just a messenger. But it's like, Shifu didn't say that at all. Shifu said to double the guards and double the weapons. So, like, that's partially your opinion anyway. That's very funny. That's a little, nice little detail. Anyways, as I was saying, <laughs> his, his kind of second gen's part one was after he broke out of jail. I mean, he could have also not broke out of jail, but that was kind of not a given. But he could have also just broken out and just left. He could have just given up the title of Dragon Warrior. Like, alright, well, someone else got the title of Dragon Warrior, so I don't see why I have to be in here. Let me just go. It's, it's the weakest potential second attempt, in my opinion, so I'm not really into this one. I more strongly believe that the proper second chance, which I now will call Second Chance Part 2, is when he made it to the Jade Palace, where he was standing in front of Shifu, and they were having this whole uh, speech, you know, of, um, you know, like the whole speech where he was like, you knew, you always knew that I was the Dragon Warrior, but when Uwe said otherwise, then what did you do? What did you do? Nothing. And 
she was like, well, it's not my fault. That's not my decision to make. You know, that whole scene, essentially, Shifu even apologized. I mean, it was a pretty weak sauce apology. I find Shifu a very, very terrible father figure, in my opinion. Not for his lack of trying. He just manages to mess it up. Essentially, both times, he was a proper dad. I don't know why. I don't know who hurt him. Okay, I guess Tailong hurt him, but that's kind of not Tailong's fault. Anyways, I'm not talking about Shifu right now. I am specifically talking about Tailong's second chance. So, he apologized. Shiva apologized, and he's like, I was actually always proud of you. I believed in you. Uh, I should have helped you not fall to the dark side. I'm so sorry about this. I failed you and stuff. You know, that was, in my opinion, Tailong's second... That was That's a stronger second chance of Tailong... Not getting his redemption, but starting to turn around. Like, he... Someone else, essentially, took the blame for what he's done and the way he turned out. And he could have been like, yeah, you're right, it is your fault. To which Shifu should have been like, you know, I could... I want to help you, you know, turn over a new leaf and tell him... Could have been like, yeah, I kind of broke out of jail and probably killed half a dozen people on the way here, especially the entire uh, Anvil of Heaven that was supposed to protect Chargon Prison. I don't know if uh, I don't know if the rest of the Value of Peace is gonna be okay with that, but you know, we'll start. You can put me in a cave to meditate for another thousand years or whatever. Granted, Tai Lung did spend like half his life in jail. Which, I don't know if I should go in-depth on my age theory about Kung Fu Panda. Because they like to throw throw around the word 20 years. Like it's, uh, like it's the word THE. And every single time you need a timeline. So, I genuinely believe Tai Long is somewhere in his 40s. Because he was 20 years when he got locked up in jail. And afterwards, when Tigress was taken, brought to the Jade Palace, she mentions that she was training with the Ironwood Trees for 20 years again. So, you know, she he has to be, at the most extreme, 40? And at the most, like, lenient, he is, like, 50. But I personally believe he's somewhere, like, 45 or something. Anyways, so he did, like, spend half his life in jail, so I do get that he would probably not be very okay with the idea of, um, suddenly having to turn his life around when he's literally having his midlife go on. But, you know, that was his second chance. He had the the smallest sliver of, okay, guess I'll, guess I can, uh, turn my life around starting now here in Jay Palace. I'm not even saying, like, the entire Valley of Peace had to, like, come back or something. It would have been kind of cool to have the entire Valley of Peace essentially abandoned because everyone was like, Oh, Talang's over there. I'm not going back home. And it's literally just Shifu and Talang. It would feel like kind of a limbo situation where Shifu is desperately trying to, like, quote-unquote fix 
Tai Lung, and it's literally just the two of them in the palace. It would have been very eerie, very creepy. Still. Um, and then, I feel the last chance Tai Lung had to kind of at least... At this point, he could never really... Uh, kind of. He would have been able to turn turn on new leaves, still. I feel like his last chance to sort of, um, turning over a new leaf would have been when he finally got his hands on a dragon scroll, you know? Like, he got his hands on the dragon scroll, he opens it up, and he sees his own reflection, and he's like, oh, it's nothing. And Poe is like, ah, oh, yeah, because, you know, there's no, don't you get it? There's no secret ingredient. And Tyler is what? And Poe's like, yeah, it's just you. You are what makes you special. Which I find it hilarious that Tyler literally looks at, own, at his reflection and just calls it nothing. Because he just calls himself nothing. So he unknowingly acknowledged that he is not really developed as a person. He is literally just... A physical fighting machine so in a s in a sense he is indeed nothing um he could have just renounced kung fu he could have like realized that he spent okay well there's a lot of anger at the idea of oh i spent literally half my life on nothing and i spent half my life and i went nowhere you know but he could have just, like, realized, oh, I spent half my life on nothing. And I'm not saying he should have, like, gotten depression or gone into despair. But he could have also just gone into despair and just been like, you know what? I spent half my life on nothing, but I still have a life left. I'll just renounce Kung Fu and just go disappear in the mountains or something. Like, Loki, if I was fighting for something my whole life, you know, aside from the fact I'm a war criminal... I was fighting for something, and I find out that the thing I was fighting for, you know, either doesn't exist or was just never worth it in the first place. I I would have renounced whatever the heck it was. I'd be like, all right, none of this is worth it. Goodbye and have a good night. Gone off into the mountains, just me vibing with the trees at that point. I, I assume, yeah, they're gonna, everyone's gonna be, like, extra alert, because they're, like, uh, a dangerous freaking murder machine with something akin to depression is currently sitting in our forest doing nothing, so someone's probably gonna have to keep checking on him to make sure he keeps, you know, doing nothing. But... At least he had that chance at life. Like, at least he could have just meditated in a cave for a hundred years or something, come to terms with everything that's happened, and just live his life out, you know? But he didn't. He had three chances, in my opinion, again, and he didn't go for any of them. He just chose to keep attacking, which, you know, makes sense. It's what he's known his entire life. You know, just fighting, attacking, fighting. <laughs> so it surprises me. So it doesn't surprise me that he didn't see that he had other options. 
But you know, those options were there. Uh, okay, so the um, the second Kung Fu Panda villain I want to bring up is obviously Lord Shen from the second Kung Fu Panda movie. Um, for Lord Shen, a little backstory. Lord Shen was obviously, as his name implies, part of the royalty of Gongman City. He was the son of the king and queen. And uh, together, they are peacocks, and as the peacock family, they invented fireworks. Except, Lord Chen realized that fireworks can be used for gunpowder, and eventually built the, you know, rudimentary version of a, um, cannon. Of a, yeah, a cannon that shoots very, very dangerous cannonballs and can't be stopped by any known kung fu technique. Which is a problem, because they just, Poe just got Kung Fu, and Kung Fu is very important in people's lives, so. Um, but the family, you know, the king and queen, they realized that Shen was definitely going down the wrong path. So they called in a soothsayer, and they asked her, hey, you know, what is, uh, what is going to be up? with Shen in the future. To which the soothsayer told them, oh yeah, he'll be, if he continues, you know, messing around with gunpowder in his evil little gremlin ways, he's going to be stopped by a warrior of black and white. So Shen, who was eavesdropping, was like, you know what, I'm going to not let that happen, and goes out of his way to massacre a nearby panda village. I know there's, he definitely did, like, massacred one panda village, but pandas kind of disappeared from China after that, so he might have gone out of his way to look for multiple, I'm not sure. It is not exactly implied in the movie, but it definitely confirmed that Poe's village is, um, is definitely taken. Which, yeah, the panda village that he attacks is Poe's, where Poe was originally born. Surprise! Mr. Pink the Goose is in Poe's actual dad, who could have seen that coming. Poe didn't, apparently. So after that, he goes back to his parents and he's like, Guess what? I avoided my destiny by committing genocide. And his parents were like, Oh my gosh. None of that. Thank you. And send him into exile. But he was like, You know what? I will be back. Stronger and more dangerous than ever. And then you'll see. You'll all see. And that's pretty much where the movie begins. In that backstory, you probably heard, is exactly where I think Shen's first chance at turning around, like turning his life around was. Because he overheard, you know, the soothsayer saying, you're gonna be, he's gonna definitely be stopped by a warrior of black and white, you know, if he continues down the dark path. He should have, he had the chance to realize that his attempt at being evil was going to be futile and to not try and challenge the universe because the universe likes to, you know, set things on its path. But he didn't. He looked at the opportunity in the eye to see where his life was going to lead if he kept doing his bad evil deeds and decided he was going to do them anyway. So that's nice. That's dumb. You know, 
a bad idea. And guess what? It was, because the one panda that managed to escape and survive the massacre turned out to be the dragon warrior. Also, it turns out that he was not the only panda who survived. Because as it turns out, that so did the dad. And several other people. Yeah. But yeah, that was, in my opinion, definitely uh, Shen's first chance at redemption. But he kind of threw it away. He didn't kind of. He definitely threw it away. Um, later in the movie, you know, Shen finally gathers his army and his army is all armed to the teeth with cannons, and they take over Gongman City. You know, as as you do. Word gets back to Poe. Poe and the Furious Five make their way across China to make it to to make it to to make it to uh, Gongmeng City, so they can like you know stop Shen. And in all of that, Shen starts preparing, you know, for uh, his proper takeover. And during this preparation phase, he he still has a soothsayer. The soothsayer still lives in the castle. He never kicked her out or anything. Very polite of him, I know. Um, the soothsayer still lives in the castle. He was like, he kept him around. I guess it is in the end to like to try and prove a point to the soothsayer because it doesn't take really, it doesn't really take long before he turns to the soothsayer and he's like, Alright, you old goat, time to tell time for you to tell me my fortune. And the soothsayer is like, Alright, but she like plays a joke on him because I think she's like kind of tired of his you know, his behavior or whatever. Cause he is kind of annoying, not gonna lie. He's He's a piece of work. Anyways, so she retells him his fortune, and surprise, surprise, his fortune didn't change because, you know, Poe is still alive and stuff. And this just completely pisses Shen off for whatever reason. Actually, it's not surprising at all that this pisses Shen off because Shen, again, he was trying to prove a point that you can change your destiny whenever you want. And, like, heck yeah, go for you know, what you deserve and, and all, but also, you know, you kind of have to realize when stuff is bad. Um, so, 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 so in all of that, Shen starts, um, between, you know, the soothsayer telling him, your fortune didn't change, and following, Shen manages in an attempt to catch. First, sorry. First of all, his uh, wolfmen capture capture Poe and Furious Five, and they get brought to him. And Shen's like, "Haha, I'm gonna kill you right now to prove it. I can change destiny." Anyways, I manages. Poe has like a a plan from ahead of time, so that fails, and he managed to survive. So Shen flees the palace, and he's like, alright, well, plan B, shoot down, just shoot down the whole palace, you know? So they do, and that is the point where I feel like Shen had a second chance. Because he's kind of throwing away his heritage, or he's 
literally, literally destroying his heritage to a degree by just destroying everything around him for no reason, really. Just so he could prove a point to who knows for whatever reason. Well, I guess the reason would be, you know, to prove to the soothsayer that destiny isn't predetermined, which, you know, I get. Thinking, you know, hey, my destiny is predetermined kind of does suck. Because it really does. But if he didn't, if he just upheld the morals of his family, like, yeah, okay, he definitely, um, took over Gongmen City by force, but if he had just at least tried to be respectful and mindful of not just his, you know, his heritage, but his forefathers and, um, the Master's Councils who were doing the work, probably not kill one of the Master's Councils, but that, you know, a siege wouldn't be a thing without some murder, so I kind of get it. So, you know, if he didn't do that, he didn't try to just do things to just kill the panda, or he, he essentially, when he saw Poe, he essentially looked death in the eye. Like, I say this in a um, purely fictional sense. Like, don't take my word to heart in any way, because I do not agree with this, and I would like to make this clear right now, that I do not agree with this, but if a dictator, like, comes in and takes over the world, but they do something good with it, are they really that bad? And again, I mean this in a purely fictional sense, because realistically, the answer is yes. Because anyone who is willing to try and take over the world is definitely going to be up to a few things. And they're going to be very dangerous and unpredictable. And, you know, ain't nobody got time for that. But it kind of... He made it clear that he just sees his position as the son of the origin of the last king and queen, you know like that, he literally sees it as a sense of um, something he deserves and not something that, you know, and not something that actually has, you know, substance to it. He just sees it as like, I deserve this and it has been taken away from me, therefore I will take it back by force just to have it. He's not doing something with it. He didn't come in and um, say, you know what, I want my position back because I see that things are not going well here in Gongman City. No, he took over, he took it over just to prove a point that he couldn't. So, you know, that's pretty bad. Um... So, continuing on in the movie, so continuing on in the movie, um, he 
presumes the Dragon Warrior and the Furious Five to be like somewhat dead. Um, the Furious Five and Poe go into somewhat of hiding. And they come out of this hiding situation, obviously. And, um... And, um... Eventually, Tigris is like, you know, Poe, because you seem to have trouble with this whole doing our responsibility thing, how about... How about you stay behind and we'll actually go take care of the problem? And Poe's like, no, I have to face Shen because he's the only one who knows what happened to, you know, my family. And Tigris is like, that's cool, but uh, the fate of the whole world is kind of resting on this, so I don't think, you know, we've got time for that. Um. So eventually Tigris and the Various Five, they leave, and they're like, let's destroy the entire factory with Shen in it, just blow up the whole thing, and get it over with. But Poe uh, sneaks behind their back and is like, no, no, I think I'm gonna stick around anyway. So he does. He sneaks into the factory and faces Lord Chen, which causes a whole thing, and in the end he gets shot by the cannon. To which Lord Chen's like, haha, I finally defeated my destiny, but lo and behold, Poe survives. So later that night, he decides to um, sail out with like a whole armada of ships he sail yeah he sails out with like a whole armada of ships to try and take over Gongman City uh it kind of works because the Fierce Five kind of can't stop him Loki it's because they're uh kind of you know depressed they saw they saw the friend they saw their friend get shot in front of them so I you know I get that um then, Poe shows up, and he's like, Guess what? I survived! A giant battle ensues, and uh, Shen tries to shoot Poe with a cannon several dozen times. Surprise! It doesn't work, because he's a dragon warrior, so he survives and stuff. And, um... Shen, you know, he's, he's, he got really annoyed, and he's like, Why the heck... Okay, why the heck is Poe not dying? And he kind of realizes, oh, it's Poe's destiny to stop me. And then he gets really frustrated, and Poe manages to take out his whole armada. And then the last thing he has left, like his whole army is taken out and everything, he's just... Yeah, it's just him and Poe on the only ship left with a cannon, that, you know, the quote-unquote main cannon being blasted up barely suspended by a few ropes, and Shen is like, how? And Poe's like, oh, he's trying to, like, jokingly explain the technique he used to try and redirect the cannons, which is how he defeated him, and Shen is like, no, how did you do it? I took away everything. I scarred you for a life. And Poe's like, oh, scars, you know, scars heal. And Shen's like, no, wounds heal. And Poe's like, alright, but what do scars do? They fade, I guess? And Shen's like, I don't care what scars do. And that is the moment, right? That is the moment where 
Shen gets essentially his last chance, which is not the chance of let me make a heel turn and suddenly I am worth, um, I am now on the good side. It's not if I stop here, it, I will, um, be able to walk free. But it's if I stop here and think about my life for like five seconds, I can probably survive this whole ordeal. I can meditate on my mistakes, probably go back into exile or something. Who knows what I you'd call that situation. But he does. But, you know, he has that chance that way. But he throws it away, obviously. He throws it away because... Yeah, because... It's Shen! He's kind of... I don't know, he kind of goes berserk, and he attacks Poe. So, he, by doing this, he absolutely loses his last chance for any type of turnaround. I'm not saying redemption, obviously, but he loses his chance at some sort of turnaround. So, um, after doing that, he, while attacking Poe, he cuts a bunch of wires, which is what was keeping a blasted cannon suspended very precariously. And because of his blind rage, his blind desperation, instead of taking a few moments and giving himself a chance to go back into exile and think things over or whatever, his desperation ultimately leads to his own demise. <laughs> if he had just taken like five seconds to truly think things through, he would have maybe survived, you know? But he didn't. He just gave it up. He just sacrificed all of that. And that ultimately leads to his demise. And that is, in my opinion, those three different chances that Shen theoretically had to not necessarily, you know, turn his entire life around or, I mean, get a redemption arc. There's not, you can't really come back from a whole genocide, what I'm saying? But it was there. And he threw that chance away. All three times. <laughs> okay, so the last uh, Kung Fu Panda villain that I can obviously refer to is uh, Kai from Kung Fu Panda 3. Kai, Kai's backstory, or just Kai as a villain in general, doesn't, uh, is not one of my favorites, I admit. He's kind of, Lord Shen and Tai Lung had a solid reason to be the bad guy to an extent. One of them had, like, his whole life promised to him, and that was taken away from him. Actually, the same thing with Lord Chen. Well, Lord Chen felt betrayed, even though he was in the wrong. But they both had, you know, somewhat of a half-decent reason to be, you know, angry at everyone else, wanting power and revenge and stuff. Kai doesn't really strike me as having that. I mean, wait, Kai, his background, or yeah, his back, his story is that him and Master Ugwe, when they were, you know, young gentlemen, or whatever the movie called them, I forgot, 
I didn't watch Kung Fu Panda 3 as often as I've seen the other ones. Um, they were brothers in arms. So, you know, war times, they were brothers in arms and stuff. Uh, they fought together side by side, and they were, like, apparently the best fighting duo, which is kind of impressive, because they fought in a time where they didn't have Kung Fu yet, because Master Wei didn't make Kung Fu yet. So... They were fighting in, in like a war in a war, unidentified war, until Master Ugwe, or just Ugwe, got hurt. So Kai, being, you know, the homie he is, carried him to to find someone who could heal him. And through that they found the the Great Panda village. Great pandas at the time were masters of Chi. And they used the chi to heal Master Uwe. But somehow, in all of that, Kai was like, Ooh, the chi technique. You can give it, but you can also take it. Whoa! And became evil. Well, he didn't become evil. He just started stealing chi. And Master Uwe was like, Well, enough of that. And uh, had to defeat his own comrade, as he said. So there is no real reason why Kai went evil. He just wanted power. Which is such a weird heel face turn, because clearly he was fighting some other whoever, you know, to stop them from getting power. And now that his brother in arm is healed, he just decides that, you know what, I want power for whatever reason. So, kind of a weak villain compared to um, compared to everyone else's backstory, in my opinion. He's really funny, though. He makes up for that. I'll, I'll admit. His lines are pretty funny. Uh, the fact that no one really takes him seriously. Like, he takes himself the most serious, but everyone else doesn't, because he was defeated so long ago that no one remembers who he was. And the only person who would remember who he was uh, died, a.k.a. Master Uwe, who passed away in the first movie. So, you know, every single time he's like, Oh, I'm Kai, the Great Conqueror! And everyone's like, Oh, who? And he, like, goes through a bunch of names, and everyone's like, Who? And then he's like, Uh, do you know Master Uwe? Yeah, I'm his enemy. And everyone's like, Oh, okay, I know Master Uwe, though. Don't know about you, bro. So, yeah. Um, because Master Uwe defeated him, through Chi, he sent him to the spirit realm, which is basically the dead world, and Kai spent 500 years, I believe it was, going around getting the Chi of anyone who ended up in the spirit realm, which is uh, everyone, in order to have enough Chi to go back to the mortal realm. Which, you know, is, again, everyone. One of the people was, uh, one of the people he caught was actually Tai Lung and Lord Chen, because when he catches them, he turns them into um, jade jade amulets. And in the movie, it's very, very vague, so you can't see it very well, but you can see that he has um, sorry, Tai Lung and Lord Chen hang off of his belt. So, you know, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool uh, way to tell us. Yeah, this happened to those two. So, because 
they didn't really, you know, explicitly say why he decided to turn evil. Finding his three chances at redemption is a lot vaguer, and I admittedly don't 100% feel like it is there for him. So, to start, um, the closest thing I feel, the, or better said, the most solid first chance that I could see for um, Kai was definitely when he brought Master Uguay to the Panda Village, to the Great Panda Village, and, you know, after he learned the ways of Chi, or Chi, or in Chi magic, that he just simply didn't turn evil, that he just didn't go power-hungry. Apparently, Uguay tried to talk him out of it, you know, as Uguay would do, uh, but that didn't really work, because Kai was like, uh, no. I have the ability to take away people's chi and, you know, have be the most powerful being in the world. Why would I not? So that's like the most concrete thing I can say at of um of it being Kai's first and most clear and proper probably only chance. And you know, when you keep going through the movie, um the second chance I have the least to say about Kai, honestly, as a villain. Because he literally is evil for the sake of evil, and not much else. The second chance I would say for Kai is definitely when he got to the spirit realm. I mean, he has the ability... He, he's been there in for about 500 years, according to Uge. A little more, probably. No, I mean, Uge's a little older than 500 years, probably. But he's been in there for about 500 years. Uguay even mentions this, because he was waiting for a rematch for 500 years, which, you know, 500 years is a lot of time to meditate on your past mistakes. And he could have just given up on revenge halfway through. I, I guess, in a way... I mean, the afterlife kind of feels low-key like purgatory, because when they showed it, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was empty because Tai um, Kai caught, like, took everyone's chi, or if it's because Master Uwe just happened to end up in like the emptiest part of the afterlife. But the spirit world looked empty. There were like broken buildings and a single cherry tree. Yeah. That's pretty much the whole spirit world. There was, like, nothing in there. No one really... It probably took, like, hours of... I say hours, but I don't know if there was actual time. Like, properly defined time in the spirit world. But it took probably hours to get to another being. So, in that time, he had time. He had 500 years to meditate on his mistake. And wonder, maybe it's me. And just not go evil. And he didn't. Um, after that, though, when you truly think about it, he was just on a hundred the whole time. He could have obviously chosen to not directly go after Poe, you know, the dragon warrior, or the pandas. He could have just roamed around and, oh, well, I guess he's 
he was technically doing that, because according to the movie, a bunch of uh, masters got their chi taken by Kai, so he was roaming around for quite a while. It doesn't really clarify how long he was roaming around for, but he was roaming around for a pretty long time. So he could have kept doing that, but eventually his path would have led him to Poe. And it's easy for me to just suggest that he not do that, but there's no defining trait to any of his actions. He just does things to defeat Poe. He doesn't go through uh, whatever the opposite of a journey is. He doesn't progressively get worse and more desperate like Shen did. Shen started losing like his cool, started getting like more desperate, more impatient as time went on. He wanted what he wanted and he was getting kind of reckless and he didn't think things through. You know, that that's what happened to Shen. And dialogue, yes, he was kind of always on a hundred, but he kind of had a more precise goal of I just want to get to the Dragon Scroll and read it. And everything else was just a barrier for him to like get over. So there was kind of like a a worsening progression for him too. But not for Kai. Kai shows up, declares himself the bad guy, and then he's the bad guy. Goku Panda 3 really more focuses on Poe's relationship with his fathers, Mr. Ping and um what was the dad's name? Li Shang? Yes, yes, it was Li Shang. And, you know, that's all we really got. It was just a dad. And, yeah, it was just a spiritual dad reconnect to who you are type movie. If I had the choice, as a pretty clear right now, he doesn't have like a third moment like that I could properly define of his personality. But if I had the choice to sort of alter Kung Fu Panda a little bit more. Because Kung Fu Panda 3, I mean, specifically. Because Kung Fu Panda 3 does a little bit feel like a slight disappointment, a slight drop in storytelling and quality. Because in Kung Fu Panda 1, we spent time with Tai Lung's actions. And I mean this in the sense of we consistently see Tai Lung interact with people and things that aren't Po. I don't know if I'm explaining this properly. You know, he there is still a characterization to him. He talks, he takes a moment to like study people. He is shown to be clever several times and has like a cruel sense of humor, cruel irony about him that he likes to reinforce, you know? So we spend, even if it's like a little bit of time, we spend some time watching Tai Lung interact with people who aren't Kung Fu people. We see him interact with 
um, the, the commander. Not directly, but like through a lot of implications. We see him interact with Zhang. We saw, even if it wasn't backstory, we saw him interact with, you know, the village. Yes, it was during a destructive rampage, but we saw that. We spent some time with Tai Lung as a character. In Kung Fu Panda 2, we spent even more time with the villain. We spent way a lot of time with Shen. We see Shen interact with his his heritage, his people, his henchmen, with the soothsayer, with... We see Shen, even if a few times, contemplate things that are being told to him, his destiny, stuff like that. We spend time with Shen as a character, and not just necessarily a villain. To an extent, you know, both between Tai Lung and Shen, you understand the angle that they're coming from. You can maybe even sympathize with, with them to a degree. Like, your actions right now are still bad, but I know why you're doing this. We don't have that with Kai. The entire movie, we don't spend time with Kai as a character. We only spend time with Kai as a direct antagonist in whatever situation he's in. And I know the point was kind of to, for him to be a mysterious, lumbering presence, constantly um, being like a timer over Poe, where Poe is like forced to go and rush to try and get to connect to himself, whereas Li Shang just wants Poe to be Poe his lotus. Lotus was Poe's birth name, by the way. So, <laughs> because there's so much focus on... How do I... No, I'm saying it wrong. What I mean is, because there is just a disconnect to how... I'm doing my best to formulate what I'm trying to mean. Because Kai is, is designed, or written, better said, as a lumbering presence, like an ominous, looming presence type villain, it makes sense that he got so little screen time and backstory, because he's just a problem. He's just a lumbering presence, no one knows anything about him, no one knows how to deal with him or anything, they don't know him to a full extent, so, you know, that makes him terrifying. But the problem is, every single time that he is on screen, he is treated with a degree of humor. Like, um, the most terrifying moment, the only time I was truly, properly, quote-unquote, terrified of Kai, you know, as a, in the movie context, was genuinely during the opening of Master Uwe. Kai just comes in um, with two jade blade, um, jade blade weapons, which, by the way, movie one and movie two kind of solidified that jade was a is a precious um stone in um the movie's culture i don't know how accurate it is well i did some research obviously because i'm a nerd and it's been like a 10 a 10 plus year franchise that i did way too much research in and jade is a sacred stone jade is a sacred stone in many parts of chinese culture even the jade palace named after the stone of stone that's commonly for spirituality, like do what chi is, spirit, and um, wisdom. So it's a very sacred stone. So when Kai came in wielding two jade blade weapons, it's like, 
oh, well, he's just disregarding, you know, the importance of it. The, the, the value and the importance and the weight that Jade as a stone carries, you know? And he just comes in and he immediately attacks the most peaceful Kung Fu Panda character ever. So you already know, okay, so this guy is clearly on something. Then when you when he continues, he's ominously talking, you know, vague stuff, foreshadowing, you know, makes sense. That makes sense. But as he's going on, you can clearly see Master Uwe, despite no longer being restricted to a physical form, he is still struggling to fight to uh, fight Kai. He's still struggling to fight Kai, which makes Kai an immediately a recognizably formidable opponent because it shows us that Kai is on par and then surpasses to a degree Uwe, but mostly because Kai plays dirty by stealing Uwe's chi. But you know, it makes Kai threatening because they treated him seriously. Despite Uwe's attempt at making jokes, Kai is still a terrifying presence because we know Uwe is best kung fu master you know in life and now in death and he's still lost to kai even though kai kind of you know cheated a little bit but he didn't even use his jade zombies he just fought ugwe and won so that's a little fight kai is kind of a terrifying villain but then in the next scene when you see kai um he manifests himself back into the mortal realm and he comes across a goose and a rabbit and the goose and the rabbit are in initially terrified of him, which is fair. That's good. That was a good start. But then he's like, I'm back. I'm Kai the Conqueror. And these two just go, who? And then there's this like three-minute dialogue of Kai trying to remind them or try to connect his history to them. And they're just joking, they're unintentionally joking around with it before he scares them again. And the goose lays a bunch of eggs. That's just funny. That's just humor. That also somewhat diminishes Kai's presence as a looming danger. Because he's just... Yes, he's annoyed. But he's just willing to humor certain questions. You know? And the fact that no one remembers him, no one is terrified of him on name alone, is kind of like... Well, you're already less scary, because no one cares. Um, after that, every other subsequent time that we meet Kai, the first second of his scene is that looming, dangerous presence that he was meant to be. But then they introduce humor by either... Um, for example, when the Jade Zombies... Or zombies show up in the Valley of Peace and Poe and the Furious Five fight him, they don't... they take him relatively serious. I mean, except for Poe, who fanboys a little bit because some of the zombies are um, masters of Kung Fu, so he wants an autograph and a painting with them, you know, stuff like that. But that's just Poe. And everyone else takes it seriously. But then when they finally corner them, um, Kai talks to them through the zombies. They pause for a comical moment where the Furious Five and Poe don't know out of which zombie Kai is talking, because he's talking out of all of them simultaneously, and they don't know which one they're supposed to look at. And that kind of, again, diminishes Kai's presence, because they just take a moment to make a 
joke out of it. And I was like, oh, well, nah, clearly he's not that scary. So, that's what I mean with every single time Kai shows up in a scene, the first second is the threat that they wanted him to be, immediately followed by who, what, jokes. And it's like, well, I mean, if you're gonna go with, like, I'm just saying you can't have both. You, it's not that you cannot at all have both, but to, in order to have both, you kind of have to invest a little bit more time in it. There is a difference between, for example, Tai Lung, who was a serious looming threat as well, given enough time to characterize that he is consistently a threat, taken seriously every single time he shows up, and then, you know, there's a big payoff, and only at the end does Poe humiliate him. Yeah, that works. But if you want to add humor to that, you have to kind of add a little bit of a... You kind of have to show that Kai is still dangerous outside of these humor moments. I'm pretty sure that made sense. A little bit disjointed, but I'm pretty sure that made sense. So what I would do is spend time with Kai as a character. But do it kind of, I know this might kind of like get dangerously close to Tai Lung territory, but the way he's a threat and his introduction is already inherently Tai Lung-esque, where, okay, I guess the difference is that um, Tai Lung was making his way to the Jade Palace and Kai, uh, where were Poe and, you know, Tai Lung was going towards Poe, and Poe was actively trying to get away from Kai. So, you know, there's kind of that. I don't actually remember if... No, Poe doesn't actually know that Kai is a thing, either. Because he left the village before that happened. So, Poe's not even terrified of this guy, because he doesn't know this guy exists. I just remembered this. He's, he's a very ineffective villain. Oh my gosh. I just remembered that Poe has not properly met Kai... Well, he did, because he clearly heard the backstory, you know, heard the backstory, he met the zombies, and then his dad was like, oh, if you go back home with me, you know, let's go. So he goes, this movie, the longer I talk about it, the more often I realize that they kind of just repeated Kung Fu Panda 1. If you were to replace... Yeah, no, if you think... What I mean with... Yeah, no, Kung Fu Panda 1 is... Kung Fu Panda 3 is definitely just repeat Kung Fu Panda 1. Villain breaks out of wherever they were confined and decides to go after one or another mystical power-slash-identity. Along the way, he fights... Um, the Furious Five and Poe before, no, sorry, the Furious Five and Shifu before ultimately losing in a battle with Poe. Yeah. Yeah. Kung Fu Panda 2 is at least Poe faces his path, um, past while liberating 
a city from a tyrant, but Kung Fu Panda 3 is just, let's just do Kung Fu Panda 1, but add more humor and dad backstory. That's really sad. I really don't like Kung Fu Panda 3. I'm, I'll, I'll say it. I do not like Kung Fu Panda 3. I find it is a fun movie visually, but it's a pretty boring movie, you know, as a movie, as a story. Wow. I just really struck my conclusion right here, right now, huh? Wow. This, meant, this part wasn't meant to be that long. I thought I had, like, a lot of gripe with... I have a lot of gripe with Kai as a character, as a villain. He is... He doesn't terrify me as a villain. He doesn't come across as, you know, an actual threat. I mean, the thing is, the thing about him is, and I feel like they should have used this part more, was that during the, like, the final, not the final final battle, but the pre-final battle, where um, Kai attacks the Panda Village, it's revealed then and there that Kai is immune to the Wuxi Fingerhold. Wuxi Fingerhold. Wuxi Fingerhold. Because, you know, he's already dead. And that was a pretty decent plot twist. I say decent, because if you really thought about it at the start, you would have realized that he's literally a dead man walking, so you can't kill him. But the thing about it is, is that because they made him come across as so invincible, as in, you, he literally could not be reached physically, because everyone would encounter his zombies, and or would get captured, like, got their chi captured instead, that, made, that, that was basically his armor the whole time. So when you got to the part where it's like, oh, I can't take him down with the Wushi finger hold because he's already dead, it's kind of like, well, I mean, plot, right? Like, they had to figure out a way, I guess. They can't just use the same ending from the first, even though they kind of tried. And then they used that whole situation as an excuse, which I still don't understand, because Poe skadooshed himself with the Wushi finger hold, but because he was making physical contact with Kai, Kai also went to the spirit realm? But if that was the case, then Poe... Like, then, like... See what I mean? In the first movie, when Poe did the wushi finger hold on Tai Lung, Tai Lung just skadooshed out of there and no one else. There was no collateral damage or anything. Which, I mean, would make sense. The user would not be harmed or anything. But there was no implication that if Talon was holding on to someone, that, that that person would have gone too. Like, alright, I guess that's a power now. That's part of the Wuxi Fingerhold. I don't even know how Poe was sure that was going to work. I would have never figured that would have worked. That makes no sense for that to have worked. But I guess that kind of reveals that the Wuxi Fingerhold isn't like a body nuke or something. It's more of a instant teleportation to the spirit realm, spirit realm situation, which is not how I figured the Wushi Finger Hold would work. I literally thought it would be like a energy body nuke or something, which makes it more interesting, but, you know, kids movies, whatever. Um, so, you know, that was a pretty decent plot twist, but they could have telegraphed that better. They could have foreshadowed that, like, a little bit more, because they just brought out that plot point as soon as it was relevant, and it felt like a deus ex machina and plot armor that he couldn't get defeated, instead of, for example, 
or for example, to make my point, earlier in the same movie, um, what's it called? Crane and Mantis were sent to go look for Kai's location, just to look. They weren't supposed to fight him. And that they meet, they come across Master Chicken, and in the process, all three of them get their cheese stolen from them. Which spawns a very hilarious joke about zombie mantis, because every single time you look at zombie mantis, they're like, Oh no, mantis is a zombie! Oh wait, but you're already green, so I can't tell. And then mantis, despite being zombie, still gets annoyed. That, I think they used that joke like twice, and I was like, alright then. Anyways, in that moment, it would have been such a great use of the time for them to actually fight um, Kai. Like, they just came... Oh, Master Bear was there too, but he didn't really do much. It would have been cool to have all four of them physically fight Kai, like, in an actual battle. And since Master Chicken and Master Bear, if I'm not mistaken, had weapons on them, they would try and, like, stab Kai. And Kai would have been, like, stabbed, but he would have just reacted... He would have just turned and went, You can't kill an immortal bot." a dead body or a mortal body or something, and then they all would have gotten zombied, and then it would have been like, oh no, Poe doesn't know this information, but I bet the wuxi finger hole would work, and then when the wuxi finger hole doesn't work, it's like, whoa, they pointed that out. Foreshadowing. You know, stuff like that. Kai as a character is lackluster. Kai as a villain is just okay. He's serviceable to the plot. So, by having Kai, it kind of... He doesn't follow the same three strikes rule that most other, the other two villains clearly followed. Which made him feel like an incomplete character. It's always nice for a character to get, like, three chances to do things. You can read most pieces of media and find characters are, that, that, that have that. So, in conclusion, um, Kung Fu Panda villains are much better off if they have some sort of tree strike um, situation going on uh, to their story, to their journey. I'm not saying it is entirely necessary. I'm not saying that every single villain in every piece of media definitely needs to follow it. Because they don't. Some villains are indeed, you know... Um, evil for the sake of evil or they're too selfish and haughty to like think hey maybe not do this or they just dedicated to getting the thing that they want but for specifically movies like Kung Fu Panda where as a, you know a series of movies where in each movie the main character that takes like has a journey that they're going to go through and the villain has a journey of like equal weight especially to them going on as well and then at some point they just meet and meet at the end and they both have to fight as a consequence of their own like choices and actions those type of movies definitely need to have definitely benefit let me say that definitely benefit from having that type of three uh strike system because you can it's not just useful for the audience but it's also much more useful for, the, I feel, for writers to properly think what situation will they throw at the villain 
to make it clear that the villain could be redeemed if they I'm not redeemed, but could start on the road to like self uh, uh, not redemption I would say basically neutrality because at that point being turning into the good guy would be a little hard but you know what I mean, like on the road to turning their life around is there but that they're so caught up that they just choose to continue on their path of self and just general destruction. And specifically, Tai Lung and Lord Shen are, they're better off with it. They have that system, they have clear-cut moments where they make themselves known. Um, Lord Shen is arguably much better written than Tai Lung. They spend more time on him, you know, um, as a character and not just as the villain, which kind of makes sense. Kung Fu Panda 1 was the first movie, it, it really just tried to get like a cool and pretty well-written movie out there. Tai Lung um, is more body-focused and stuff, and Chen is more about his past, his mind, stuff like that. And it's also the sequel, and this is definitely one of those rare cases where a sequel wasn't asked for, but was very, very welcome. Okay, I asked for a sequel. I know, I asked for a sequel. I was so in love with Kung Fu Panda 1. I will admit it for the fifth time, or the eighth, I don't know. But I absolutely was, I am of the side that was like, yes, another Kung Fu Panda movie, woohoo. I don't know what they're going to do with this. But they're gonna figure it out. And, you know, sometimes sequels kind of don't add to the overall story. They kind of make it worse. Usually, that's what the second movie does. But in this case, it was definitely the third movie. Kung Fu Panda 3 didn't add anything to the development of how they wrote villains. It added somewhat something to Poe's journey. It was not added to Poe's journey, yeah, but the whole atmosphere of Kung Fu Panda 3 was so drastically different from the first two movies, and there were some other, aside from the three strikes with the villains part, there were other nuances in general, too, that uh, I find the third movie didn't have. But yeah, that's what I feel. The general, uh, gosh, I really hope this wasn't too windy. Yeah, that's my general, uh, opinion on Gulf of Panda villains. So, yeah, with that, uh, I want to thank you all for listening in again. I hope you enjoyed this one. I kind of thought really hard about it, like I always do, because I always think, a lot. Uh, I hope that after you after you listen to this, that you have a great day, night, evening, or at whatever time you're listening in, and that uh, things go well. Bye.